Welcome to A Fork in Time, the alternate history podcast. Welcome back to A Fork in Time, the Alternate History Podcast. Uh, Don's sitting only temporarily in the host chair. We've arrived at the stoplight, and we're going to do the little fire drill thing. We're all going to run around in the car here because Alexis is going to jump in and grab it here. But I'm joined by Eric Rush. Mr. Rush, how are you in 2023? So far, so good. Good deal. Also joined by Eric Darling Bond. There from, from, from a rainy Arizona, which is, I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but how are you doing tonight, Eric? Oh, I'm having a lovely night, Don. I just found out I got cast in a show, so I'm pretty That's excited. Congratulations. Congratulations. And uh, last but certainly not least would be co-founder of the podcast. Uh, she also happens to be my daughter. That would be Alexis. Alexis, how are you tonight? And you're going to be the one that takes us away on this one, right? I am. I'm doing good. And because I'm taking us away, we can probably guess where we're going. Japan? Well, that's where we just were. Oh, well, just us. I mean, well, in podcast land, ones. that's where we just were. Northern yeah, Ireland? Close. You're that's getting a, that's another one. That's we'll, we'll come back to Northern Ireland, Eric. <laughs> yes. But we're going to go for this uh, for this episode. We're going back to England, guys. Although, as we talked about off podcast, this has been on the radar, I think, very near the start of the podcast. This has been on the podcast suggestion list for a long time. Uh, and uh, we're going to be talking about a little event that you might have heard about in pop culture that happened in 1605. What Was it in November? It was. It was in November. Should, should, we, should we remember it? I, I think we should. I think we should. There might, there might have been a comic about it and a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, we are going to be talking about uh, the gunpowder plot, uh, which was November 5th of 1605. So if you've ever heard the phrase, remember, remember the 5th of November, and you were clueless as to what that was in reference to, it is this specific event. Um, and I will run us a little bit quickly through the rut, what did, and then I'll actually throw to Eric Rush, because he actually came up with our fork for the episode. Uh, so really quickly in the what did, uh, as I mentioned, November 5th, 1605, it is the opening of Parliament, which they still do uh, to this day. Um, so the monarch was uh, supposed to be coming to Parliament to open Parliament, kind of give a speech talking about what he would like Parliament to do in in 1605, what was he, his name, uh, for that session of Parliament. Uh, in addition to he being there, uh, several members of his family were going to be there, as well as all of the members of the House of Lords, particularly the very um, high-level uh, lords, were going to be at the opening of Parliament. It was, Parliament, it was a big deal. So because it was going to be such a big deal, the king was going to be there, several members of the nobility, several members of the extended royal family were going to be there. There was a group of Catholic plotters um, that got together and they decided, I've had it with the king. I've had it with his family. I want him gone. We want him gone. So the plan was to blow up the Houses of Parliament and subsequently kill the king, 
several members of his family and several prominent members of parliament. Uh, these were Catholic uh, conspirators. The king was Protestant. Uh, we'll get into this a little bit as we talk through the fork, I'm sure. But England was a relatively new Protestant country. So there was still a majority or at least a, a sizable um, population of Catholics in the country, but because of some laws that were enacted and put into place, they didn't have the clout and the um, rights that they had uh, previously. So they were a little bit begrudged by that. And so uh, this whole plot, this whole plan was to blow up the Houses of Parliament, blow up the King, blow up several members of the several prominent uh, members of the nobility, and then to, after the aftermath, to install the king's young daughter uh, named Elizabeth. I believe she, but I believe she was about nine or ten um, at the time, so she would have been very much a puppet, uh, puppet ruler. Uh, but the plan was to install her as the new monarch, and then to essentially rule through her and um, become a Catholic nation again. So that is, in a nutshell, um, what happened with. Uh, what was supposed to happen with the Catholic plot. Of course, it did not succeed. And the reason it did not succeed is because the day before, so on November 4th, there was a letter that was sent to a prominent member of parliament who was going to be there on November 5th, who happened to be Catholic. And so there was a letter sent to him basically saying, hey, so I know tomorrow's a big deal, but maybe don't show up because we're planning to kill everybody there. Um, this letter was, of course, they sent it to this man, A, to an attempt to save him. Uh, they wanted him to not be there, so to not die. But also they kind of sent it to him because they kind of figured he wouldn't blab. Uh, but that's exactly what he did. He sent it on to the authorities who were able to then go investigate. And they casually found a guy named Guy Fox hanging out in the cellars under the Houses of Parliament with around 36 barrels of gunpowder. So they were able to thwart the plot. So November 5th went on uh, without incident. Uh, Parliament opened. Nothing happened. Interesting tidbit, though, to this day, um, as part of the ceremony around the opening of Parliament, there actually is somebody who goes down into the cellars of the House of Lords and checks the cellars for gunpowder and other explosives, just to keep up with that tradition of making sure everything's okay before the monarch shows up for the opening day of Parliament. So but, just two, two quick things there before we pass over to, to Eric Rush, because er, Eric's going to give us some interesting tidbits that he shared with us on our podcast too. The king here is James I. So this is only two years removed from Elizabeth's death. So yes. having been James VI of Scotland, now James I of England, it's not exactly like he's been well-established on the throne. And of course, the execution of Mary, Queen of Scots has been an event, uh, what, 25 years previous, give or take. Um, uh, Executed which, because she was very Catholic. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so and so the whole, you know, this, this is a continuate. We're not that far removed, even though, uh, see the episode Protestant win, even though he, the, the, the Armada does not succeed, we are still not that far removed from the same generation that was looking to um, to put a Catholic back on the throne. And with, with a new king having to have been invited down from Scotland to take that position, uh, even more question about the legitimacy of that. I just want to throw that in, just remind everybody that which king we're talking about here. Eric Rush, 
share with us some of those neat little tidbits you gave us and some other stuff there is too. And the idea for the, for the, for the fork. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a, there's a few little interesting tidbits. And and I think one of the things to, to keep in mind is that you, as you had alluded to, you know, James the first or, you know, James the sixth of Scotland as well uh, was not well established on the, on the throne. And because Elizabeth had been um, so anti-Catholic, there was some curiosity, some hope that James the first would have been, um, if not Catholic himself, as he was not, um, at least less virulently anti-Catholic. And there was no, uh, unfortunately, there was, well, for for these plotters, at the very least, there was no evidence that that was true. So he, you know, there was, there, there was some hope at first, but it didn't really seem to be borne out. And so they were hoping that they would then be able to, uh, to blow up parliament kill the king, kill all the lords, uh, anybody else who was, who was at, um, at the, the event. And then eventually they would be able to reestablish a Catholic monarch, which was, uh, which they were hoping would be, um, would be Elizabeth, who, um, who is a, uh, a, a descendant of James the, the first, I think it was, I think she was his daughter. Now that I'm not thinking about it. Um, and who is, who is a believed to be Catholic, um, so it wasn't really under uh, well understood, but that's that's my recollection of kind of what they were trying to do here. They wanted to reestablish uh, a, 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 ideally a Catholic England, and if not that, then at least a Catholic tolerant England. The problem is, is with conspiracies, is you can only um, you can only have a con- conspiracy if um, if everybody else in your conspiracy is dead, um, because people don't keep secrets very well. Um, and so the the details of the plot were were finalized some days before it was so it was scheduled to be uh, uh, to be done. And then um, Guy Fox would be the person who would actually uh, execute uh, by lighting the fuse, so to speak, and then they would escape. Um, and then um, and then they would uh, ensure the capture of of this uh, the the king's daughter Elizabeth. And then they would uh, somehow, you know, things would happen, and you would have you know England would be, would become an, a Catholic power again. Problem was, is people talk, and um, and people who uh, people who are maybe a, a little have a little misgiving about what's going on, about all the people that they're they're planning on killing, um, sometimes will try to alert the people that could be present. And so, what happened was, somebody, and we're not really sure exactly who it was, sent a letter um, shortly before the uh, that the plot was was supposed to be carried out. To William Parker, who is the Baron Monteagle, uh, and the um, and what it basically said, and I'll just I'll read the letter. Um, and it says, "My Lord, out of the love I bear to you, some of your friends, I have a care for your preservation. Therefore, I would advise you, as you tender your life, to devise some excuse to shift your attendance at this Parliament. For God and man hath concurred to punish the wickedness of this time." And think not slightly of this advertisement, but retire yourself into your country where you might expect the event in safety. For though there be no appearance of any stir, yet I say they shall receive a terrible blow this parliament, and yet they shall not see who hurts them. This council is not to be condemned because it may do you good and can do you no harm. For the danger is past as soon as you have burnt the letter. And I hope God will give you the grace to make good of use of it, to whose holy protection I commend you. So this is obviously not a, these are not idle words. And so instead of just heeding the words privately, uh, Baron Monteagle handed it to the Earl of Salisbury. Uh, and eventually what happened was it, it started moving up within the within the ability of the government. The king was not present um, during a lot of this. The king was, was out in Cambridgeshire and was not accept, expected back for some amount of time. 
but eventually they uh, they investigated and they w- they eventually found uh, they, they they found the, the quote unquote smoking gun uh, by Guy Fox in the uh, in the basement of the, uh, of the of the Parliament building. So the point of departure would be, what if this letter had never been written? And that because that's we again we don't really know exactly who wrote it. Let's say that somebody didn't have a partial change of heart or 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 didn't really have the need to um, uh, to protect this one this one noble. Uh, if that wouldn't have been done, there's a pretty good chance that the plot would have succeeded. Because I, uh, we were talking about this off podcast before before we started recording. Um, the BBC some years ago did a kind of a redemonstration of what would have happened had the plot succeeded, and they um, and they used uh, 36 barrels of in some cases, partially spoiled or stale gunpowder and to see if that would still uh, still succeed in, in blowing up the building. And it absolutely would have. So had this succeeded, you would have killed everybody in the building. And and so it would have been it would have been quite the event. Um, doubtful that it would have uh, ended up the way that the conspirators hoped it would it would have ended up, but it would have killed the people that they intended to kill. So that's my point of departure is no letter. Uh, no letter to William Parker. So, so if, no, if nobody tips off the fact that, it, and by the way, it wasn't just a simple, hey, don't go tomorrow. But what was that, like three paragraphs worth? <laughs> I mean, it was. It was, it was several warnings. And, yeah. and I think, uh, you know, God and man have concurred to punish the wickedness of the time. <laughs> yeah, that's a, <laughs> those are strong words. Those are strong words. And, and making the point, as you said, multiple times about what the risk was. And the fact that this was serious, and I, I think it's easy for me to. Well, I would just jump here as a reminder here that even though Elizabeth reigned for fifty years, it, it, it was a long reign. Um, there was there were still the, the streams of of there were still staunch Catholics during Elizabeth's reign. There were still those that were there. This was still something that was real, uh, but it had become less. There was less of a of an expectation that barring something, as you said, dramatic after James the First comes and he's clearly going to continue uh, with the Anglican Church. Um, you know, now now it's now this idea that we have to do something more extreme. It's not just find another monarch to put on the throne, but now we've got to do something that's a little bit more. And uh, you know, the other thing that struck me is just you know terrorism. <laughs> This would have been an extreme act of of terrorism. You know, the, the analogy that ran into my head when Eric was sharing the fact that, you know, this would have actually done the damage. This would have killed, you know, I started thinking about modern acts of terrorism where, you know, improvised fertilizer bombs and the other things that we're aware of, the World Trade Center bombing, for example, that, you know, predated the, the events of 9-11. This would have been of that ilk just in an entirely different era where gunpowder was the way that it was done. So... If we take away the latter, we assume then that the logical fork is going to be that we have the explosion. Now, if I understood correctly, James is not actually is. I guess the first question to establish is James killed in that explosion. He probably would have been. Um, he was backed by uh, by the I think the by the first of November. Okay. Um, so I so I uh, he should have been there. Um, okay. Yeah. And, and, and the one thing I guess I didn't know until digging in this a little bit deeper is that eventually we do have um, James's oldest son is Henry, who predeceases. And so th- at this particular point in 1605, the heir to the throne would have been Henry, who is not yet of age, who would have required a regency. 
correct? Is that is that is that the right summary that I'm thinking about here? Yeah, he would have been correct, about a, yeah. a, ten or eleven years old at this point. So pretty much all of all of James's heirs at this point would have required a regency. Would have been pretty pretty young. Yep, exactly. And so, and of course, the other thing to remember there is, uh, I, I'm, this is fresh on my mind because I've been re-listening to uh, Garrett Mattingly's The Armada, which is a fantastically fantastic, well-written book on the on the Spanish Armada. And I'm just just got through the chapters where it's setting up, you know, with the uh, execution of of the Mary Queen of Scots and the whole thing. There is that while she is James's mother, they are very much estranged. So while she is a staunch Catholic, he has almost been raised intentionally removed from her influence in such a way that he is not that, which is why it was, you know, quote unquote, safe for those who wanted to have a successor to Elizabeth to invite James to come among all the possible claimants. Because by that point, there were a lot of folks who could make a somewhat legitimate claim to the throne. Um, and then the other thing that jumped out at me, this is a little bit of an aside, but a tangent is with, recently as Charles took, uh, took the monarchy, Remember one of the first things that he did were, were signing things that related to the Church of Scotland. This is this connection between Scotland and England that goes back to this point of James being brought in. So we lose uh, James and we pick up a, let's assume a King Henry here, a young King Henry. So I guess the first thing is, what does that look like, particularly after these events? I mean, what, what what's the what's the front end of this fork in terms of how much chaos gets caused and and what happens, you know, before we go further down it, what happens in the near term? Well, first of all, the original plan was not for Henry or even Charles. It was for the daughter Elizabeth. It was for yeah. the daughter Elizabeth. Yeah. Reason being for that, um, Henry does die young. Uh, he is determined to be feeble. Uh, by the conspirators, why they don't pick him. Because in for all intents and purposes, he should have been the choice. Um, but they don't pick him because it's determined that he is feeble, weak. They don't want to mess with that. Uh, they don't want to pick Charles because Charles would have required that minority for a long time. Um, wouldn't have been able to rule in his own right. So they go with Elizabeth, uh, assuming that she can be raised Catholic. She's about nine or 10 at this point. So she could be, kind of be converted. Uh, she's young enough. She's in that age of influence. Uh, and they could also marry her to a Catholic consort. So if we're going to go, if we're going to change the fork even more, and we're going to go with Henry, first off the bat, you're going to have a sibling thing, possibly, uh, especially if the conspirators were thinking Elizabeth the whole time, um, where it's like, hey, we were going to go with Elizabeth. It's like, well, you killed the king and he's got an older son. So we're going to go with Henry. Yeah. Uh, or, in, or in another way, someone just says, let's not be ableist about this. I mean, yeah, he's sickly, but, you know, things could turn around. That's not stopping him. Baldwin IV was a leper and he was a pretty good king of Jerusalem. Let's get this kid on the throne. Henry. See, multiple kings of France. Yeah, <laughs> but but was was he really sickly until his terminal illness? I mean, it, yeah, it's it, sorry. Go ahead, Don. I, I was about to ask that same question, Eric. So, so please go ahead. My understanding is at this point, this is before he's been stricken with this typhoid, he had typhoid fever. fever. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then typhoid fever. I mean, that's that that was a reality at the time. I, I don't think that I don't think that speaks to his constitution. I think it just speaks to the you know the the the, the nature of the time. But it sounds like, you know, the history was that that he was, um, you know, he liked things like, you know, jousting and horseback riding and things like that that would that would indicate that he 
you know, he had a pretty reasonable constitution. Yeah, uh, play, go- play golf. I actually read something where it said that you know, he he owned golf clubs was one of the things that popped up in one of the things I was looking at there. There you go. The other thing to consider is would he have been killed? Would he have been with his father? I mean, if you think about modern opening of parliaments, let's go back to Elizabeth. Most of the time, Charles was also there as the heir. Uh, so that's a good is point. He, I is don't... Henry even is Henry also dead? And so we have either a Charles or an Elizabeth that we're dealing with as the successor. That's interesting. I, I, you know, and I don't know the answer to that. And I don't, I don't know. I assume that information is available about who is, who is in attendance. Or or who would have been in attendance. Obviously they changed the plans once they find the plot, I think in terms of what's going on there. Cause I think Parliament actually didn't then open as a result of that until January because they postponed its opening. But I think Alexis hit it on the head earlier about part of the reason you choose the female claimant is that that lets you set up whatever marriage situation you want to, to whoever there. It's a lot easier to do that with, um, with, uh, Technical difficulties. I think so. We're we're, we're just going to talk here. Uh, Don has. Uh, uh, I'm back. I'm back. I, I know you lost me there. I'm back now. So can you hear me now? Yes. Yeah. You're good. Yeah. 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 yeah so, so my point is, it's easier than to control the outcome uh, when you're when you're when you're guiding the the female monarch that you've placed on the phone on the throne to who you want to marry and set up the scenario there. You know, given the time. Yeah, much easier. All right, so we're going with Elizabeth. Well, or, yeah. with, or are we going with Charles? Because we do have an older son. If even if Henry's gone, I, I, I like the simpler path of not having this, you know, race race with two child monarchs figuring out who to. Although that would be an interesting, you know, scenario because that would make it a little more complicated. But the idea yeah, of the Charles, Elizabeth Charles being like five, yeah, yeah, Charles is very young. Yeah. Very young. I think. We were because Charles was the one who was very ill as a child. So he was the one who was seen because he had rickets. And I am reading here that apparently Henry told him he'll make him Archbishop of Canterbury when he was king. So he would have a long rope to hide his ugly legs because everybody is a jerk. Uh. Don't worry, brother. I'll give you a job. (laughs) Yeah. So, so, so I guess my my question is, if we assume that, you know, they are, uh, is it a fair thing to say that Elizabeth then, you know, let's, let's, just, let, let's make a couple of assumptions here. So we're not coming around. Henry dies in the blast along with his father. So that removes him. Now, Elizabeth is the oldest. She's older than Charles, correct? So that puts her appropriately in line unless you're going to go find somebody else. And so there's the effort to put by the, by the conspirators. Uh, there's the effort to put her on the throne. So she's, I guess, w- w- would my first question is, would somebody else have advanced? Would the Protestants have advanced somebody, be it a young, a young Charles or be it a somebody else to, you know, to try to take the throne? How likely would that have been? I, I think there would have been a very, very swift reaction against Catholics in England. I think, it, I think they would have I, I think it would have been pretty dramatic, and um, and I think that there was, you know, even even though that there, that it was, there was a, a strong anti-Catholic sentiment, both you know, both legally and and just you know, in culturally, there, um, it would have been far fiercer. Okay, 
so do you think under that scenario, Eric, that we we get Elizabeth on the throne with you know the uh, the Protestant powers that be that have survived, you know, prosecuting against the the conspirators here and and rooting out you know whatever remains of Catholicism in England, and we still have Elizabeth. It's just not the Elizabeth they hope to get by installing her and then marrying her off at young age. Yeah, I think that's likely. Um, I mean, I think you could. I think think you you could get a a much more uh, we'll we'll say a, a much stauncher kind of um kind of obligate protestantism like what existed in Scandinavia at the time um in in England and and so it would have been you know it would have been that you would have just everybody would have just been had to be anglican at that point okay so under that scenario do we end up with much of a conflict or is this do you think it's taken care of pretty quickly that they I, I think it's taken care of pretty quickly. I don't. I mean, I. So is this a I, so is this a blip or does this carry on for a while? Oh, I, I think it. I think it leaves. Uh, I think it's it's a traumatic event. I think it leaves. Uh, it, it definitely leaves a a mark kind of on the national psyche. Um, but I don't think in terms of of any sort of um, political changes. Um, I don't think it really changes the path all that much. Although I have to say is, is, you know, you might have a little more zeal and embrace of the, of kind of the, the, the Stuart monarchy, you know, what's left of it, because, you know, keep in mind what's, what happens not, not, you know, 40 years after this, you know, do you have a Commonwealth? Do you have a protectorate? What happens to Cromwell? Right. Maybe nothing. Maybe there is no Cromwell. Right. And, and so if you remove, you remove that part, you know, what, what we know is the coming history from 1605. If you remove that out, you know, that that probably has as much or more of an impact long term in terms of not having that period in the restoration and everything that went with that. And as you said, you know, eventually we lose we lose Stuarts here. Eventually we have to go to somebody else here pretty quickly just because of what happens, what happens as we move forward over time. Yeah. One quick thing on that, interestingly enough. This Elizabeth we're talking about, her, I believe it's grandson, is a son by the is a person by the name of George the First. Um just just yeah. tying that full circle there. Um, yeah, we gotta go to Germany, but the line still carries. But it it's interesting because the reason we gotta go to Germany is because we gotta make a Protestant jump because we had gone back to Catholic for a second. I don't think that happens. Um if we have a successful uh, gunpowder plot, because I think to Eric's point, I think it gets snuffed out pretty quickly. I think um, that it's, it kind of becomes that more hardline Protestant. We're with the Stuarts because the Stuarts that survived, we're with them. We back them. Um, I think it becomes more entrenched Protestant. So there, there's not that whoopsie flip back to Catholicism for a second with James II. Um, so you don't even have to go to, and we have Elizabeth who's possibly not marrying Frederick, uh, of the Palatine. Um, so you're not doing that. I'm curious, and Eric, you might, uh, be able to speak to this because you watched that demonstration for the BBC. So with that 36 powers of gunpowder, what was all destroyed? Everything. Did it, but did it go beyond the houses of parliament into London? Because I'm, um, I'm curious to explore the like. Kind of, you kind of touched on it. The social 
Yeah. So ramifications. I, I think, you know, the, obviously there, you know, there's shrapnel flying out any, everywhere. And so if there are people kind of standing nearby, they would, they would likely have been injured or killed as well. But as far as, you know, London, you know, overall, you know, would it, would it destroy a, you know, a large swath of the, of that part of the city? I don't think it would. Um, but so it would be, it, it would, it would be the building and immediate environs that would, that would have been destroyed. Yeah. But that's, okay. but it's a good, it's an important question, Alexis. And yeah. the and the symbolic nature of what used to be there that you looked at and recognized as as the government, an important part of the government, even though you have a monarchy. I mean, you do have a it it, it is is moving towards it is constitutional monarchy, different than it becomes, but is still there. And suddenly, you know, it's it, it's like looking at the skyline of New York without the twin towers. You know, imagine imagine you're in London looking over to the things you're accustomed to seeing there on the on the Thames, and they they're not there anymore. And that reminds you of why they're not there constantly, which is, you know, I think the immediate thing that happens to your point, Eric, earlier about, you know, is there more of a um, we're going to root out these these last roots of Catholicism. Look at look at what they've done, you know, where it becomes it becomes an even stronger, um, you know, Protestant control. And then what does that mean, you know, down the road either, you know, and because of that, is there more of the circling, to your point, the more of the circling of the wagons around, you know, the Stuarts in the, in the case of Elizabeth being in the, you know, is is there more of a, we're going to support this because we're not going to tolerate, you know, people, people putting an end to us choosing, <laughs> us being God, God choosing who the, who the next monarch's going to be, you know, for us kind of thing. Yeah, I kept circling back to um, the 9-11 episode that we did, and you brought up 9-11, and this is, I mean, this was a terrorist attack in 1605. Um, Just kind of that that concept of when we think the Twin Towers, there were so many things that were destroyed that weren't the Twin Towers uh, in that general area. Of course, jet fuel fuel is different than gunpowder. But talking about also, we talked about in that episode, about if the you know that fourth plane and um if it had actually hit in dc and the fact that there's so many things that get kind of packed into that one area in dc that if they okay they hit their target but then it kind of goes out from there so i was i was just curious to kind of explore that aspect but yeah i think it um i i i think eric hit it on the head earlier to borrow the phrase from the last episode we recorded um you know this isn't a big political thing i think it I think it gets resolved pretty quickly, but I think a social thing of if you live in London, you see, you know, the smoldering house of parliament. Um, I think that kind of lives in in the psyche for, for quite a while. Well, I do have, I will say it also probably does create a small political chasm because now the heads of many different houses all across England and are Scotland dead. are dead. So it's a whole new generation that's just kind of forced in that came of age probably later on during the Thirty Years' War. So now we have this new generation that has to learn the realms of power. I was also trying to look up just now, so who would have been put in charge of the Regency? And then I, the further I kept going, it's like, oh, everybody that's connected to the Stuarts is dead. And most of them pretty horribly. Like, this family seems cursed. Yeah. But also... No. No, it's. I mean, it's a, it's a valid point. You would have to search around for for the for the the uh, the regent. 
you know, the question I would have is, 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 uh, is Anne. So Anne of Denmark is, is James's wife, right? Mm-hmm. Is she there? At the opening? Yeah. Oh, that's a tough one. I, I, I think the answer to that is no, I don't think she's there. And so I think she's regent. Yeah, I tried looking up to see when James was hooking up with Robert Carr, but unfortunately they didn't meet for another two years. Yeah, that what that actually that's a that's a really good thought though. Had it had the, the history been reversed a little bit, because um, yeah, that would have that like, would have been a really interesting one. Yeah, it'd be like the first super sitcom of the modern era. Like I've been raised by my dad's boyfriend. <laughs> like he's gone, but you know, other dad is here. My two dads. There we go. We brought. Them. <laughs> and so, and so now, to me, to me, that's another interesting point. Is if if you have a young Protestant queen on the throne, I think it's I think it's a safe assumption. I don't think Eric, to your point, I don't think Anne is at the opening. So, so she's probably there to serve as regent. Uh, she's from Denmark, hence the name Anne Anne of Denmark. And so, you know, one of the things that pops into my head is was very common in this period, still common to this day, is are there other Protestant, are there other Protestant nations who suddenly now feel like they either A, can exert influence in England <laughs> to some degree, or want to, you know, sort of come in and be a protector of the faith type of thing you know does that does that change the alignment given that we're about to go into a religious you know another another religious war in europe to a degree that's about to happen here does that have some impact on that in terms of you know does scotland gain more of an influence because some of the 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 family having come from scotland has to play a bigger role as yeah i think eric db makes a great point in the idea of you know okay yeah what's you know all those older older sons now suddenly just take the reins of all those various lordships that's a whole generational change out. I mean, it's a it's a pretty dramatic thing to have happen there. And do you have more external influence into England coming from someplace else, Denmark, wherever it might be coming from, uh, that's coming in initially to be supportive of a Protestant queen? But, you know, they're also going to take whatever liberties they can in terms of what will benefit them while they're doing that. Well, oh, yeah. I think you. I think you could. I think because I think not. You know, this is the House of Oldenburg, right, in Denmark. And House of Oldenburg is not just Denmark. It's it's Norway. Um, I don't. I I don't think it's Sweden at this point, but it had been Sweden. Um, it, they. Had, I think they had had electors um, in the Holy Roman Empire. So you know they had. You know they had their tendrils all throughout Protestant Europe. And, yeah. You know, Currently, at this time, it is Christian the Fourth, Anne's brother, who. Uh, will reign until 1648 and be the longest reigning monarch of Denmark, Norway, and being the Duke of Holstein and Schleswig. There you go. Okay, so so that that's that's helpful, and I and I so I, I think the answer is yes. I think you do see you know more we'll call this more Danish or at least House of Oldenburg influence because we know we know this is possible because we saw this a hundred years later with the House of Orange, right? Right. So, you know, we saw Dutch influence. So this is just Danish influence a little bit earlier. So I think it's very possible. Yeah. And and, and to me, that's the interesting thing here is that, you know, nature abhors a vacuum, <laughs> leadership abhors a vacuum. And so somebody's going to try to fill that vacuum. And when the, what's filling the vacuum rightfully is a is a is a minor monarch that, that's in the regency position. And then who else can influence that? They're going to try to influence it for whatever's there. Um. 
So I, to, to me, that's that's an interesting thought. And I, I personally believe this would have led to a much more um, – not, not that Catholicism was tolerated necessarily in England. Uh, certainly there had been, you know, the, the issues that had arisen post-Henry all the way through up to leading to this. But I think you get a renewed sense of uh, it being – it would not just be sometimes looked over – like it would have been because the rem- the reminder would have been what what Catholics allowed to 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 not be you know kept in their proper place relative to a Protestant throne. What that means, and the other thing that ran into my mind, sort of the reason I went to the nine eleven ex- is that you know this is remembered because of the rhyme as the fifth of November. You know, we talk about nine eleven. I don't think they would have referred to it as eleven five, but you've got that same type of mindset that goes on there, where it influences things for for decades and generations to come. You know, calling back to it, there's always that concern about let's not have another eleven five. Well, do you know what doesn't get created if we don't have the fifth of November as you know a failed gun plot? There's no Halloween, babe. There's no more Halloween. You know what that means? It means our Halloween special, Don, never gets made because it doesn't become Pope's Day, which turns into uh, Papistry Day here on the East Coast in Boston, which then turns into Halloween. So we have no tradition. We just have creepy Christmas still with mummers. There you go. Well, well, that's a bummer. I don't. I don't. Stop I don't. I don't like this. Episodes old. away. So I. I was. Uh, I was interested in this alternate history, and now I don't want it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's ah. right. Hocus pocus, never gonna happen now. Oh well, never see don't, Batman. Yeah, don't don't tell my kids that. And, you know, and, this, and this raises a you know a tougher question for me is you know we often struggle with going down alternate history paths. It's. Um, whether you're changing the history, whether the fork is is changing an event from a did to a didn't or a didn't to a did, is is a is is, is sometimes sometimes they're similar, but sometimes they're very different. In the sense of um, yes, there was a plot. The plot was uncovered. You know, a letter was written. All the things that are there, but there's not a massive rebuilding program. <laughs> For the for a House of Parliament or so, you know, the type of thing that you know mars the the London landscape for a period of time in quite the same way, or you know what invariably happens, you know, what could have happened from that is this tangential thing you don't even often think about is, okay, they have to raise taxes for that, and as a result of that, somebody gets upset about the increase in taxation for rebuilding Parliament, and so you know this is the time of the of the Cromwell and the rise of the Roundheads, you know, and again, why are we even doing all this? Why don't we just have a, uh, why do we have a monarchy at all, you know, kind of deal? Oh, well, you know what I also just think of? The King James Bible will not be written. The Geneva Bible that the Protestant, uh, that Puritans love probably becomes a lot more popular. Mm. Also, Shakespeare gets arrested. Because he wrote Macbeth and he wrote Hamlet, which is about the Danish royal families. And then suddenly the king is dead and they're just uh, a Danish royal house, largely given a lot of influence. It's probably very awkward to perform those plays. Those plays get known as cursed. This play literally got King James killed. So, well, the King James Bible, was, was it wasn't complete by this point, but it had been started, right? Yeah, because the so would it so would it have been 
So maybe it was, maybe it was started or maybe, or at the very least, if it's not, maybe not completed, or at least it looks a lot different and it's not the King James Bible. Maybe it's the, it's the Queen Elizabeth or King Charles Bible. And it looks quite a bit different. I don't know. I mean, but, it, but, but Eric, you bring up a really good, a really good point that it's, it's, it can't be the same. Like there's no way for it to be the same. Yeah. And to me, the other thing that goes with that, you know, is that, you know, part of the King James Bible is also James being a very smart politician is still understanding the nature of the religious conflict that's going on here. And, um, you know, and, and the fact that there's a real, the recognition there needs to be a Bible in English that is the, you know, we call it the King James Bible. The official name for it, of course, is the authorized version, because there were other Bibles running around in English. They just weren't the official authorized version for all the benefit that that gave and didn't give. But the other thing that just ran through my head was coming off of the 50-year reign by Elizabeth. And again, I'm influenced a lot right now by, by, by listening to, you know, thematically uh, described that in the Armada, you know, there was a lot of ups and downs. <laughs> Elizabeth dealt with things all the way through there. But the one thing Elizabeth brought was stability for that 50-year period of time. I mean, the, the magic of Elizabeth is navigating to stay on the throne during that contentious period of time, given all things that were there for 50 years. I mean, that was her, that was her gift. And she did it by hook and by crook sometimes. But you know, so you go from this very stable 50-year reign to James has been on the throne for two years. And now suddenly you're back into this whole cycle of, you know, it's, are we going to do this? Are we going to constantly be changing now? Are we going to go back? You know, I, I think of the the period of time, you know, with um, with Mary and Elizabeth, you know, I, I call that the whipsaw period. If you were an English citizen, you know, it's, you know, what am I this week? When I'm, when I'm going to church this week, what do, what do I need to be? Because, you know, okay, Mary, it was back and forth. I mean, it was, and, the, and, the, and the lords were having a tough, tough time figuring out, you know, they may have leaned, for example, theologically Catholic, but I need to be Protestant right now or the other way around. I mean, it was, you know, you, you, you played the middle there as best you could. And so I begin to wonder, you know, one of the things that Elizabeth brought and James then continued for a period of time, we see the instability that's going to come in the 20 to 30 years forward. Uh, if you accelerate, in other words, is, is, is the, is the two year reign of James, dying by assassination in a in a massive terrorist act does that bring a, an era of instability back that undoes that 50 years of elizabeth plus what you normally had with james there if that makes any sense i went the long way around the block to say that yeah oh but i did look it up uh king james bible officially published uh 1611 yeah yeah but commissioned 1604 like alexis said so. right yeah it, it had just been commissioned yeah so. In, in fact, in fact, I don't think I've ever read this relative to the gunpowder plot, but you know, it's interesting that that was it was commissioned in 1604, and here we are in 1605. Yeah, you know, it was just that further indication of there was still the religious tension that was going on behind the scenes, especially because he was a Calvinist, which a lot of Protestants hated. <laughs> well, you, you, you make an excellent point there, uh, Eric. Without you know delving too far into the theology of that, the the Scottish flavor of Protestantism. <laughs> was not the Anglican flavor of Protestantism. Yes, they were both Protestants, but it was not, I mean, the, the Church of England. Quite a bit different. Yeah, the Church of England still looks very Catholic except for the head in a lot of ways. Uh, Scotland had gone through an entirely different experience during the Reformation, and James was very much influenced by 
you know, Knox and the others. It was Scott, as you said, Scottish Scottish Calvinism, Sc- Scottish Protestantism was not English Protestantism, and it's easy to forget that because we use the same term to describe both of them. Yeah. Oh, I thought of one more thing uh, that gets interfered with because there's no James to end it. Trade with Japan. <laughs> so the only thing, reason that the English stopped going to Japan and establishing more contacts is James felt it was too expensive to maintain. Yeah, and and to, to me the other interesting you know part about that and again now now my my brain is turning about those those differences that happened there again heavily influenced by hearing a lot about Elizabeth right now is. Um, England had established itself as a as a as a nautical power, particularly with with the Armada um, victory being what it was. You know, it, it became about English English power here, but it was not still from a from a standpoint of wealth or trade anywhere close to many of its European uh, counterparts. I mean, you know, part of the reason that you know. Spain was able to mount the Armada was with the resources they had to be able to mount that, you know, in England, you know, England was fortunate, you might argue, because of the weather situation to, to avoid the consequences of that. And so you still have an, an England here, be it James or be it Elizabeth or whatever, that is still economically lagging behind much of the rest of the continent and will be for some period of time. It's not until later that that changes to any degree it's going to change but it's not going to change in the near term they're still they're still i guess my point they're still dependent upon relationships with europe uh because they're not economically able to stand on their own at this point and so if you if you alter the need for help from a denmark or some other protestant power in europe to help you know protect yourself you know what does that mean i mean is is there uh, who i guess who is who is the king in spain at this point is it still uh I don't know that that that's chasing you a little bit, but you know, is there another thought? Oh, okay, now here's another chance, you know, kind of thing. Elizabeth's gone and James gone as well. What else is lurking out there in this alternate timeline? Anybody thought of anything else? So it's Philip the Fourth. Ah, who's the camp spin? Yeah. I don't have anything uh, anything on this timeline. I just uh, I continually am looking forward to retiring to my English country manor. That's all. <laughs> so should we all? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't, by the way, if you want to do that, don't marry American actresses. I'm just saying that in, in the current events right now, that, that precludes you being. I bought the that. book today. Uh, and well, what's really funny is I came home and Jake was unpacking the bags and he goes, "I knew you would." <laughs> I I really like the interview on Colbert. I, I haven't seen the whole interview yet. It's so. it's good. It's <laughs> it's just kind of confirmed my whole thing of like the older I get, the more I'm thinking like, man, monarchy just seems like child abuse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so so the last question I'm gonna ask you just to sort of bring us to a conclusion and, and circle things up. Do they what what do they rebuild there? Because that's the interesting concept to me. I think Alexis and I talked about that briefly. If the Capitol had, had been hit during the 9-11 scenario or the White House, you know, sort of there's and, and then what we saw with with actually with 9-11 with the Twin Towers. Well, we didn't build two towers back. We just built a larger single tower back to, as a point as a point of show there. But that's different when that's a sign of commerce versus it being you know related to your seat of government. So I'm just curious. 
do they do they build something back there and is it in what way is it different than what we know because of how that changes things i think you do build something i think it is it is grander than what what was there previously and i think it is intended to be a we'll call it a a, um, a statement of nationalism now whether that is a that is english nationalism or whether that is an, an emerging sense of of a a concept of britishness that will exist later on i don't know probably the former in in, in 1605 so I, I i suspect it will it will embody a a sense of nationalism okay that would be my thinking as well and it it would become you know it would become symbolic for ways that it's not symbolic today absolutely agree and i, I even you know the other thing that my mind ran to when i knew we were going to talk about this topic is because it's still carrying over with the religious conflict there is there something about that that would be yes it would embody as you point out well i think eric national a national identity it's nationalism it's about continuation of government but would it somehow be more religiously connected because it has the religious you know the catholic catholic the catholic prodders being there you know would you somehow end up with you know a I guess at this point, Westminster Abbey exists, right? I mean, it's not like there's, but, you know, would you incorporate setting up a national Anglican church, you know, as part of this, what gets rebuilt there, just as, just as a further sign of saying, we are, we are asserting that we are, we are Protestant, we are not Catholic. If, if not official, then, then at least there would, I think there would be, you know, vestiges of Anglicanism there. Uh, but I also wonder, so we, we've kind of, we've kind of agreed that we think that there would be a doubling down on the Anglican churches as, as a part of this. How does this affect re- relations with Ireland? Oh, and, and no. I think the, 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 I mean, and, and we're, we're close to an hour and I think a lot of us have to wrap up here. Yeah. So we could, we could actually, we could make this a two-part episode. Part at two. some point. Yeah. But, I, I think, but I think I, that's a good place to come back to, but I think the answer is not well. Right. I mean, we can, we can flesh that out, but I think the short answer is not well. And I think this has, implications um you know between 1605 to 1922 i mean i think you've got a you've got a lot of implications there uh and uh so and i would um i would be uh i would be interested in exploring that as as a person who is descended from many english catholics i think that is i think that would be really really interesting to explore okay we we, we will cue that one up because i agree with you i think it's an interesting place to go and it's a it's a, it's a further extension of this so that's our signal for us to bring this one around to a close. So once again, thanks for joining a fork in time. I just want to mention, as we always do, you know, check out the website. There's all kinds of fun stuff there, including uh, um, the, our past, our back catalog, uh, the links to our Discord server, ways that you can support the show both financially and otherwise. Uh, I do encourage you to, to we, we can get activity going back in on the Discord server. I really enjoyed that interaction with our listeners. So I know with a new episode out here, we'll be able to get more of that. So I just say, if you have different thoughts than what we've expressed here, there's a place to go and do that. Uh, there's feedback uh, on the website. There, the Discord server is a little bit more in real time, but uh, we, we, we don't think we've got the answers here. That's the magic of that's the magic of altered history is you could be just as right as, as I believe that I am and we don't know, but it's worth the discussion. So on behalf of Alexis, Eric, and Eric, I just want to say once again, thanks for joining us here on A Fork in Time. And uh, we didn't close out another episode this way, so now I'm inclined to do it. I'm seeing my daughter here on the left. Do we have any suggestions for our listeners if they happen upon A Fork in Time, Lex? Take it. Take it. All right. Thanks, guys. 
Thanks for listening to A Fork in Time, the alternate history podcast. Learn more and provide feedback by visiting our website at www.aforkintimepodcast.com. Connect to us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash aforkintime or follow us on Twitter at A-F-I-T podcast. If you want to support the show financially, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash aforkintime. We hope you will join us next time.